You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, welcome to the Big Blue View podcast. I am Dan Bizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. Chris, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. That is good to hear. So this is possibly the last week we have where there's not really too much to talk about. Training camps open next week, and from that point, it's training camps into the preseason, into the regular season. So just a little bit before things really get going. So for our first episode this week, we are just going to dive into a quick mailbag with still not a lot going on, just to start to, before we get into previewing training camp and figuring out what's going to happen, we're just going to answer a couple quick questions to to get this started and, and give us a little bit to think about before the real football gets here. So let's just dive right in. So the first question is from Brett Galito, and he asks, is there any talk about moving Evan Ingram to wide receiver? He is clearly not a blocking tight end, but the Giants want to be a run-first football team. By moving Ingram to wide receiver, it should not only make the run blocking better, but also gives the Giants a wide receiver with great size. So I know there's no talk about that. And, and strictly moving him to wide receiver, I don't think really accomplishes a lot. But I think what you can do is is treat him in some ways like a wide receiver and especially using the formation and using his pass catching ability to run 12 personnel more often, which is something we have discussed many times on this podcast and 12 personnel for those who are unaware is one running back, two tight ends, and then two wide receivers. So having two tight ends on the field, especially when one is Ingram, a lot of times for the defense that is going to make them think there is going to be a run play because of that heavy personnel. But if you have someone like Ingram, who is a pass-catching threat, so you have you know four pass-catching threats on the field when you have two tight ends, which is not something a lot of teams can do. You're going to have the two wide receivers, you're going to have Ingram, you're going to have Saquon Barkley in the backfield. That gives you a, a the type of advantage. So you're basically running 11 personnel with 12. So you don't have to make Evan Ingram a wide receiver, but if you use your personnel packages to make his pass catching more of a threat, then you do that. And the way to do that, I think, is to pass more out of 12. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I've mentioned this a few times before. I'm a big fan of the 12 personnel package just because of how efficient it is to pass out of. It's just a matter of math that an average NFL quarterback is going to be able to average, I would say, at least seven yards per complete passing but you need a great running back to average five yards per attempt rushing. So last time I checked, seven is greater than five. So if an offense only gets a certain number of attempts per game, just a certain number of snaps, you want to get 
the most out of each one that you can. This isn't to say that teams should abandon the run completely. I don't think anybody's saying that. Well, except maybe Mike Leach, but that's neither here nor there and probably a question for another podcast, maybe next offseason. But the idea that you should go heavy to run and light to pass, we've seen this year just doesn't really work all that well. But the opposite works great. And having a player like Ingram, who is a true hybrid tight end, he is definitely a tight end. He was one of the few tight ends to not blow a block last year. So he is a capable blocker as long as you get him a good matchup. But he is also one of the most dangerous receiving tight ends in the league. You know, Zach Ertz got targeted a bunch and he had one of the best years a tight end has ever had. Angram got targeted far fewer times, but he beat out Ertz in terms of separation at the catch point by almost a full, actually more than a full yard. He is a yards after the catch monster. And he is one of the most athletic tight ends in the NFL. So the Giants really should be looking long and hard at how to use that and how to deploy that skill set to the biggest advantage they can, which, like you said, thinking about him as a wide receiver, so as something like a wide receiver, so you could play 11 personnel out of a 12 package and move Ingram around the field. Play him at tight end some, but not much. You could detach him, play him in the slot, play him out wide. You could play him in the backfield as an H-back. And all of those would get some, get some different matchups and just different opportunities to put that athletic ability and receiving ability to good use. Right. And so, like you said, I think his, his struggles as a blocker are very overblown, especially in 2018. Um, so you mentioned he doesn't have a blown block. I have the Sports Info Solutions numbers up here. He had 126 blocking snaps, zero blown blocks. He had one hold on on a run play. Uh, 21 pass blocking snaps, zero blown blocks. 105 run blocking snaps, zero blown blocks. That is a significant step up from what he did his rookie season, where he did struggle a little bit. 216 snaps. He had eight blown blocks. All of them came in the run game and that was on 194 run blocking snaps so so there were some struggles there but he got much better in 2018 so i think you can continue to think he can be a capable blocker when needed and you don't need to be a great blocker you don't need to be a tackle all he has to do is do his job and especially in 2018 he did that and then when you you can put him out and he's a credible threat blocking. When you have that 12 personnel, you make teams think you're going to run, especially when you're the Giants. Last year, they used 12 personnel on 24% of their plays, but they were 58% run out of that. But they can kind of use that to their advantage to make teams think they're going to run. And just having 12 personnel is kind of like pseudo play action because teams already think you're going to run. So... Warren Sharp does a huge uh, football preview book every year, and I was asked to help out with the forward and go over some things that NFL teams could potentially exploit on the field. And one of the things I wrote about uh, in this book was taking advantage of 12 personnel and how using 12 is basically... almost play action in itself, and as we've discussed many times, using play action is 
a great way for an offense to be better at passing than it really is. Almost every passing offense improves with play action. So, just because I have the numbers in front of me, at last year in 2018 league-wide, teams threw the ball 66% of the time from 11, but they threw just 48% of the time from 12. But when you look at from 11, teams averaged 7.16 yards per attempt, 0.03 expected points added per attempt, and had a positive play rate of 49.5%. When you go to 12, it jumps up to 8.08 yards per attempt, 0.15 expected points added per attempt, and a positive play percentage of 54%. And then if you add play action on top of that, you're getting up to 9.19 yards per attempt and a 51.6% positive play rate. So you are increasing the potential of your passing game by having 12 personnel on the field. Uh, you look at a team like the Eagles last year. They used 12 personnel more than almost everyone else. I think only Houston used it more, but Philadelphia threw 61% of the time they were in uh, 12. So if you use that, especially since the Giants don't really have a good number three receiver right now. So you have Ingram, you can treat him as a wide receiver, but also treat him as the tight end. And that gives you the best of both worlds. And that is probably where the Giants are going to have their best production throwing the ball this season. Yeah, because NFL defenses just are not great at dealing with tight ends, particularly athletic tight ends, which I think think we really need to move away from the idea of the blocking tight end just in general it's not really a blocking position anymore I, there are a few places around the league where it is i would say most notably jacksonville but they really really want to run the ball maybe less so now that they've got nick Foles there but still but league-wide the tight ends are known for their ability as receivers not as blockers that's why you have players like Zach Ertz, uh, Travis Kelsey, until he retired, Rob Gronkowski, uh, Kyle Rudolph, George Kittle. And defenses are just bad at matching up against these kinds of players and these kinds of receiving threats. By and large, linebackers just don't have the ability and coverage, and defensive backs just don't have the size. And that makes them very dangerous. And a good tight end, a good receiving tight end is a big advantage for a for an offense we've seen that and we've seen that for years going back to when new england switched to the 12 personnel package in 2010 under bill o'brien when they had gronkowski and aaron hernandez and the league just had no clue what to make of it right i think we're going to start seeing tight ends just as uh, in a position as a whole the receiving ability is going to be what's emphasized. We've seen that shift happen with running backs now, where having a running back who can catch and be an asset in the passing game used to be a luxury at the position. Now it's a necessity. Now, if your running back cannot contribute to the passing game, it's almost a waste of a roster spot because you just you can't use him effectively. I think we're going to continue to see tight ends move in that direction, and I think the, the role of the blocking tight end is going to be diminished. I think there are going to be much fewer roster spots used on blocking tight ends. And I think your, your third tight end is going to be probably a raw athletic tight end who can has the potential in the passing game because that is where the most production is going to come from. And that's going to help these teams more, especially 
as NFL teams continue to increase the rate in which they pass, which is what they should be doing because we know now that passing is more effective than running and teams are still not throwing enough. There's probably a rate where you pass too much, but we're not near that yet. We don't know what that rate is. So teams are going to continue increasing their passing rate each year. And with the tight ends, that's going to continue to increase and they are going to play a big part of it. So we're going to see that blocking tight end get phased out and more raw athletic pass catching tight ends are are going to be coming in. And right now, if you have someone like Evan Ingram, who is the best of both worlds and is you don't have to have him be an incredible blocker for him to serve a great purpose and a great role on the team he needs to be an adequate blocker which he definitely was in 2018 and that should continue Uh, so if you have someone whose skill set like that you can just create with mismatches uh, that's that's how teams are going to move forward and that's a potential the Giants do have this year yeah the combination of Ingram and Barkley gives them really a lot of offensive flexibility as long as they're willing to use it. Right, and that's the thing, and that's one of the things we really were disappointed with during the season when you have someone like Ingram who's not moved around enough. You have someone like Saquon Barkley who is not moved around enough. So hopefully we'll see what happens in training camp if that changes, and at least because last year in training camp we did see some of that. There was a lot of Barkley moving around in the slot and getting motion then it came to the regular season, and that didn't happen. So if that happens in training camp and continues to go into the regular season, then that's how you get the most out of these types of players. That's why they were drafted in the first round, uh, because they present those types of mismatches, and, and you can use them and use those heavy personnel packages and still be good at throwing the ball. And I think that's what the Giants are going to need to do going forward. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. On that note, let's move to the next question, which is from Twitter, which is just describe the realistic best case scenario for the Giants in 2019. Uh, Chris, let's have you take this one first. Okay. The absolute best case scenario is that the Giants spent the offseason going to school on Kyle Shanahan, the San Francisco 49ers, Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams. The Kansas City Chiefs with Andy Reid and how he uses his running backs and Sean Payton and how he uses his running backs. And they just completely unleash Engram and Barkley and the league doesn't know what to make of it. 
Uh, I am not sure that's an exactly realistic best case scenario because we did see last year that Pat Shermer is a little bit, or maybe even a little bit, slavish to the game plan and the basics of his scheme. I would say just the realistic best case scenario is that the Giants carry on some of the things we saw on offense from the end of last year when they started to use more misdirection in their running and passing game. They used players other than Saquon Barkley to run the ball. They did more to scheme receiving options open. They started to look a little bit further down the field with Engram and Barkley and if they keep that and then maybe build on it a little bit more, I think that would be a good a good way for the offense to take a step and maybe even a couple steps forward from what we, we saw for most of last year. On the defensive side of the ball, I would say the best case scenario is that Antoine Bethea holds off father time for another year and is able to play the free safety position well enough to lock that down so the Giants don't have to worry about that like they did last year. And they find a pass rusher to replace Olivier Vernon, whether that's Lorenzo Carter taking a step forward, uh, BJ Hill taking a step forward, O'Shea Ziminis turning out to be an absolute steal, uh, Marcus Golden showing that he can generate and convert pressure like he did back in 2016. Find a guy somewhere who can beat blockers and create pressure. I think the two of those things and one of their young cornerbacks stepping up. I kind of don't know or don't care if it's Sam Beal, DeAndre Baker, Julian Love, one of them stepping up and giving them a reliable corner out there. And I think that would allow James Betcher to really open up his playbook and have a lot more confidence scheming his blitzes and really turning players loose. Now, as far as record, I am not sure what their best case, best case scenario record would be. I don't feel comfortable going up to a 500 record with an eight and eight. I, I think six and 10 honestly feels pretty right if they're able to take the steps forward and yeah, have some units that we have questions about that we're not sure about come together. Yeah, maybe they can do better, but I think just as far as being realistic, taking one more step forward and you know, winning games against starting quarterbacks and just showing that the roster as a whole has some foundation pieces for when they move forward into the next era of Giants football under Daniel Jones. Yeah, this is this is an interesting question because uh, you could you know talk yourself into what can break right, and it's a whole bunch of ifs, and then you have the likelihood of 
how many of those ifs are actually going to all hit at the same time. On defense, if they find a pass rush, if one or more of the, the corners comes out, if Jabril Peppers is what the Giants think and what they have sold him as, um, there's just a whole bunch of ifs that come together and you can see maybe one of them happening if like all you know, four of these things happen. You know, how likely is that? Uh, and that's the question. I think a lot of that is going to come on the defense and then whether, you know, the offense can can stick together. Right now, much improved offensive line on paper, which should be better. Uh, you still have an injured left tackle. You have an injured right tackle. That doesn't help at this moment. So hopefully this is the middle of July. Training camps have not started yet. So hopefully they will be healthy by the start of the season. And that's going to be a much bigger help than it is right now. Uh, you look at the, the supporting cast is still good. So uh, Bill Barnwell for ESPN did his annual ranking of the uh, offensive skill positions, and the Giants still came in eighth, even after trading away Odell Beckham and signing Golden Tate. So when you look at a vacuum, the Giants do have good skill position players. We've talked about Ingram, the, the whole first part of this podcast. We've talked about Saquon Barkley, he, very good um, for whatever you know value questions we've had about him. Having him on the field is good. You know, Golden Tate, it should be still a useful receiver as long as the last half of what he did with Philadelphia last year is not going to be indicative of future performance. We all like Sterling Shepard as a receiver. So the Giants still have some good skill position players. This is still an offense that surprisingly ranked 13th in offensive DVOA last season. Um, so a lot of that was big plays. That came from Barkley, that came from Beckham. So can they replicate that? Uh, I'm not sure if they can on the level they did last year. So there's just going to have to be more down-to-down consistency. A lot of that's going to come down to the quarterback. How likely is it that Eli Manning is a step up from what he's been like the past five years? I don't see that as very likely. So how realistic is it that Daniel Jones steps in and he is good? I'm not sure I see that as likely either. So uh, so much of it is going to just come down to the quarterback. So if you look at a realistic best case scenario and maybe uh, oh, 70% of those things break right and this team is like maybe seven and nine I don't know I think you know realistically they're they're an under 500 team if you want the realistic best case scenario maybe maybe they fight their way up to to 500 and and they're set up better than we think they are right now going forward into 2020 you know that's that's probably the best case that is the best case scenario and how likely that is I think is is hard to say, uh, but if I'm betting on it, that that's not the scenario I would bet on. Yeah, and just the sheer number of ifs with this team really make trying to come up with a best case or worst case scenario problematic. It is possible that Golden Tate had just an off year last year that you know, for some reason... Things weren't working well with the Lions because he was having a down year with the Lions before being traded and having an even worse finish to his season in Philadelphia. Yeah, hopefully Nate Solder is going to come back from his ankle injury fine and be able to play the full season at the level I think we've come to expect from him. You know, like Brandon Thorne told us, not great, but 
good enough and good enough against most of the competition he's going to be facing. Right tackle, will Remmers be able to come back from his back injury and be a competent right tackle? You know, right now, we just don't know. And then again, all of the ifs on the defensive side of the ball, from Marcus Golden to the safeties to the horde of corners the Giants have. It is difficult to know for sure. And that just makes coming up with a best case scenario just a little bit problematic. Again, or maybe a lot of bit pro- problematic because there's a whole range of possibilities depending on which if breaks which way. Right, and th- I mean, that's... That's what we're trying to grasp right now. There are a lot of statistical indicators that suggest this team should be better than it was a year ago. Uh, they greatly underperformed their Pythagorean win expectation, which is basically how many games you're expected to win based on point differential. They were also one of the league's worst teams in one-score games. So they were 4-8 and eight in games decided by one score or fewer. That's a 33% win percentage, and usually teams end up around 50%. You're expected to win about 50% of those games. Teams that are much higher than that one year tend to regress back down to 50% or closer to 50% the next year, and teams well below that tend to regress up toward 50%. Uh, I think we know a lot of those games kind of weren't close until late, and the Giants were down by more than one score and then made it one score late, so they weren't as close in those games as the final score might indicate. So there are some statistical indicators that suggest the Giants should be better. Again, the the DVOA was, was not bad efficiency wise. They were, they were fine when you, you know, account for the big plays and everything else. What I'm not sure I can grasp is taking those indicators and wondering whether they get canceled out by not having three of the four best players on the team from the previous year being on the roster this year. And I don't think they did enough to make up for what those players were. Uh, The decisions and and all of that aside, just as far as talent on the team, I'm not sure it's the same. So I'm not ready to say they are absolutely going to be better when if a lot of this was kept together, I probably would have been saying they're likely to be better in the 2019 season. But I, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that just in the way the roster was constructed throughout the offseason. So I don't know. We'll see. This this team is still a gigantic mystery to me of, of how 2019 is going to play out. And that's you know, going to be interesting to see. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not super optimistic in, in for 2019, but we'll see. There There is some potential there and a lot of things have to break right. And there is potential for a lot of things to break right. But how many of those things do break right at the same time is going to uh, be what sets the ceiling and the floor for this team. Yeah, and to a certain extent, that is true for just about every team. But like you said with the Giants, they have churned their roster so much just this offseason and then just over the last year and a half that it makes looking at past seasons to try to predict future seasons tough 
Yeah, it does. And I mean, that's you know one of the reasons they play the games. We'll see. We we have information that can give us an informed opinion of what this might look like, but uh, we we will still see as as this season plays out. Uh, so we have and- one more question. This is from Patrick Chamberlain. This is a non-serious question. What do you guys think should be Daniel Jones' nickname? Myself and some friends really want him to go by Daniel Danger Zone Jones and are trying to get some momentum behind that. Um, So I think I'm going to drop my hottest take on the podcast. Uh, Usually when we we say a lot of things, but especially from my point of view, I have a lot of data and and statistics behind it to back up the reasoning for what I say. But uh, my hot take here is uh, most sports nicknames are bad. uh, And I don't think we need one. I just, uh, there's no, especially when nicknames get forced and they're trying really hard, like some of the nicknames that were thrown around for Patrick Mahomes last year, when people were just like really trying to force some nicknames, like it, it, it doesn't need it. I think most sports nicknames are bad. Yeah, uh, I'll go along with that. I'll say it's, uh, the best nicknames happen organically. And, you know, like, uh, and I'm not saying this just because I'm a, I'm a Metallica fan, but Mariona Rivera be getting nicknamed the Sandman. Yeah, that just kind of happened organically, and it fit. And I always liked that one. I think it's a little too early to be giving Daniel Jones a nickname, be, considering he is somewhere between the number two and number three quarterback, and we haven't even really seen him do anything football-like yet. I will say just as a taking a step back and saying it in general for danger zone, I do like the alliteration. I do like the rhyming aspect of it that assuming Jones becomes worthy of getting a nickname, either one way or the other, that would be a good one. Also, I do like the uh, meme and gift potential of it because I'm an archer fan and Lana, 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 Danger Zone is one of my favorite bits from Archer. So there's also that. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't, especially right now when he hasn't done anything on the field, he hasn't come out of college with a nickname. A lot of times, you know, with, with those nicknames, they, they're already around. So uh, when you force nicknames, I think that's that's bad. And there are very few occasions where nicknames in those situations uh, tend to work out and, and are used very often. Um, I just, I'm not totally sure we need them. So that's my answer to that. I know Patrick has asked uh, many questions for this podcast, and we appreciate them. I don't mean to, uh, and he said it was a very non-serious question, and so not to completely shut that question down, but I think in my my opinion, we we don't need sports nicknames, uh, or at least we need much fewer sports nicknames than we tend to have. They should be rare and maybe come about for just the truly exceptional like you know reggie white being the minister of defense he was not he was a minister and a phenomenal defensive player calvin johnson being nicknamed megatron that fit i'm not entirely sure he was human but yeah just trying to force them eh, yeah i'm with you i'm not not too fond of that we'll see so uh you can see by the way uh we very seriously took that question uh we are still uh, in, in the last the last little 
point of the of the summer where there is no football. So I think we'll we'll be previewing football probably the next time uh, we we talk to you. So and that will be good for uh, you, the listeners, and us. So so we can look forward to that because uh, training camps uh, the end of the month very soon, and that is very exciting. So uh, we are going to end this episode here. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review if you have not. That does continue to help us out greatly, especially as we go into the season. Uh, it helps this podcast get found and, and more people can listen to it. We appreciate the listenership has continued to grow as we've been doing this. So thank you very much for that. You can find our work on BigBlueView.com. You can follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. You can follow BigBlueView on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Raptor MKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit MethodProducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.